as we, as we teach and expound upon and we learn about your word, God, I do, I echo the Apostle Paul. I pray that today that our, the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, Lord, that you would just, just open the eyes of our hearts to see you and, and your glory and your majesty and transform our lives in some way and push us forward to continue to spread this message to others. So, Lord, we surrender today. Give us ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Thank you, Landon. Hey, good morning, everybody. So it's been a couple of weeks since I've had the opportunity to teach you. And, um, you know, Mark was here a couple of weeks ago. My buddy, he's a great friend and one of the presbyters at Christian Life Church. And he brought a great message, did a great job training some of our staff on Monday. And then Cole Martinez last week um, preached on Psalm 77, and I was so glad to see uh, Cole. I love our young communicators. Don't you appreciate our young guys that are preaching and teaching the Word? You know, when I see that, I think about how many young people that are off chasing the world, and here we have in our congregation young men and women that are chasing after God. It just blesses my heart so much. Yeah, and I know he preached the gospel, so he preached on Sunday and then on Wednesday, and I was so excited to hear that there were a lot of unchurched uh, teenagers that showed up on that campus. It's one of the reasons why we do that, is opportunities for us to go where, where students would not typically come to church. We go where they are comfortable with, where they live, where they, they spend a lot of their time, and we bring the gospel to them. Isn't that a powerful thing? And we're so thankful for the staff at Eagleville for allowing this to happen. That's a pretty uh, major uh, thing that happened just this past week, and thank you for supporting that. Let me tell you what's, what's happening, uh, just to give you a heads up as we move into the fall. So this, this October, uh, I'm kicking off today six lessons on the six chapters in the book of, Eph- of Ephesians. And, and then... Uh, when we're finished with that, we're going to have another guest speaker coming in, a guy by the name of Mohan Babu. He is uh, from Hyderabad, India. Some of you know him. He's been here before. And so we, uh, he's going to be in the States, and we're connecting with him. I'll be taking a small team in January to go train um, hundreds of pastors that he uh, has a network with in Hyderabad, India. And so he's going to be here, and he'll share And then we're going to begin talking about vision, and uh, as we prepare for our legacy offering that we do in December uh, every year, I just wanted to mention that so you can begin praying about it as we come together as one body and we sacrificially give even above our tithes and our offerings, and it allows us to do things, incredible things. I'll be sharing more about that. And so these are the things that are up and coming, and then then there is a a Christmas program that the uh, young people are practicing, and they'll be uh, presenting to us in December. We really believe the gospel is going to come forth in that. So a lot of you have uh, visitors here at the church. I see a lot of uh, new faces. Welcome to Christian Life. We're glad that you're here. Yeah. I know it's fall break, and so we have a lot of people that are tuned in online right now. 
Uh, your kids might be complaining because you're on vacation, but you're making them listen to me. Hey, everybody. Hi, kids. <laughs> Glory to God. Let's go into Ephesians. I'm just telling you, everybody, I have been looking forward uh, to this study for months. And I hope that you are ready to dive deep into the heavenlies, to really be able to grasp the revelation that God gave to us through the amazing Apostle Paul. I'm so thankful that the Lord gave us this incredible uh, wealth and riches of revelation. You know, in January of this past year, I was, during my fast, um, and you, many of you were fasting and praying with us, um, I was reading through the book of Ephesians, and I came to Ephesians chapter 4, and I read a very familiar verse, but it just leapt so much off the page. It's like, you know, I don't know, they call it a rhema word from God. It's like you're reading the word, and all of a sudden, it's like the word goes, it, it ceases to be print. It's like it comes alive, like it's living all of a sudden. Has anybody ever had that experience? It's like, it's, it's the prophetic voice of God is on the words that are written in print, and it leaps up out of there, and it gets a hold of your spirit. And this happened, again, in Ephesians chapter 4, 11, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And the Lord spoke to me and said, that's your job this year. Like never before, I felt like the Lord said, let's be equipping in our mindset, in our actions. So, so at, at the men's retreat, you know, we're equipping. When, at the uh, marriage conference, we have been equipping. As we went through the book of Acts, we were just equipping. We just taught through hearing the voice of God, hoping that you would be equipped better in the prophetic. So we're just equipping our, our teenagers for ministry. We, listen, this is what the scripture tells us, that we are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I want you to know that you and I were both were called to do the work of the ministry. The ministry does not belong exclusively, exclusively to vocational ministers. And this is one of the problems. We call this church sabotage. When, when vocational ministers intend to do all of the ministry, and then everybody else in the congregation are just spectators, we're sabotaging really the work of the ministry that should be existing in the congregation. So we're all ministers. Some of us, which is very daunting and very humbling, some of us receive a salary that comes from the tithes and offerings of God's church. We never, our entire staff, we never take it for granted. In fact, we talk about it all the time, that we must be good stewards. We must honor the tithes and offerings that have been given for the ministry, and we have to be good stewards of that because you guys are investing, and we're just wanting to lead, but the ministry belongs to all of us. And this is one of the things that's really uh, one of the themes that goes through the book of Ephesians, that we are his workmanship. We were created for good works. And this is what God has spoken to all of us as a church body. So, so we want to encourage you in your ministry gifts and calling. I want you to embrace that, everybody. Now, um, in order to really understand Ephesians, the letter that the apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison at Rome, 
to the church at Ephesus, we, we need to be reminded a little bit about the history. This, I shouldn't have to take a long time for this because I don't know if you remember the ninth lesson in our study in the book of Acts back in the summer. I took a whole Sunday and I talked about the outpouring and the awakening that, that happened in Ephesus, how Paul founded the church and how that was established. And let me just try to help you understand or remind you of a couple of things because it's very interesting how he came to Ephesus. You can read about this in Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20. In fact, Acts chapter 20, he is, knows that he's not going to go back to Ephesus any longer after spending years there. He spent over two years there training and teaching and establishing the church. But God had called them to go to Jerusalem. He knew that he would be attacked in Jerusalem. And then he would subsequently, he was determined to go to Rome, to preach the gospel in Rome. And he was imprisoned in Rome. He met with the elders at Ephes, of, of Ephesus. And they had this, I'll tell you, a very difficult time of saying a, a big farewell to one another. It's, it's so beautiful, really, everybody. If you go back to Acts and you read that. And, but but the, the, the city of Ephesus was an amazing city. It was probably, I think it was in the top three cities that existed in the world during that day. Next to Rome and Alexandria, Ephesus was probably the most incredible one. There were other cities like Antioch, you know, and Jerusalem, but this was a top three city. Uh, in fact, I have a map of it. Let me just show you where it is. So this is Ephesus here. It was a port city, and so it was a very wealthy city. It was known for trade and tourism. In fact, most of the tourism centered around the worship of the Greek and Roman gods, and this was big business. In fact, if you remember, we were talking about among all of the gods that the Greeks and the Romans worshipped, all of the idols that they worshipped, there was one that stood out in Ephesus, and this was the goddess, the Romans called her Diana, the Greeks called her Artemis, and this was the god of fertility, and it was a big grotesque statue, I don't even have pictures of it because it's kind of gross, I don't want to show it to you, but this was a huge grotesque picture, all of you are Googling Artemis right now, I know, that's fine. And, uh, and, and there was a temple that was built and was dedicated to her worship. In fact, um, in, the, in the ancient world, there were seven wonders. And, and, F, and this temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders that existed in the world back then. So here's, a, here's kind of a, a drawing of it, everybody. Uh, this thing was about one and a half football uh, lengths wide and deep. So you can imagine that, how big this was. These columns, there were, there were 127 columns that were 60 feet tall. To put that in perspective, uh, from the wall here to the top, that's 20 feet. So three times higher, or three more 20 feet heights here. Incredibly, it, this was an incredible place. And there was all kinds of worship. People traveled from all over the world. Imagine that, all over the world, to come and worship this false god. Now, here's the other thing about this, is that the worship of Artemis or Diana, it was deeply rooted in a lot of the dark magic, and demonic worship. And so, 
This was big money, too. This was big business, dark magic, and the worship of Diana brought in, <coughs> excuse me, all of, this, all of this tourism, and the apostle Paul and the church at Ephesus confronted this demonic spirit, and they won. <laughs> they won the battle there. It's amazing in that day, because Christians were, there were thousands and thousands. Some, I read somewhere where the historians think that 30,000 Ephesians came to Christ during that two or three year period in Ephesus. It turned the city upside down. In fact, on one day, there was this big spontaneous celebration of the Christians in Ephesus that they so fell in love with Jesus and separated themselves from the worship of Diana and all of that magical dark stuff that they brought their books, their trinkets, their, their little carvings of Diana and they brought it out into the middle of the city and they had a bonfire. And it was quite a scene. And when the bonfire happened, they're burning all of their stuff because they love Jesus now. Then the merchants, they got stirred up in the city and they, uh, they formed a riot. And it went on and on and on. Even the Roman government, the Roman soldiers had to come in and silence the riot because the city was turned upside down. That was a clash of cultures. And in the middle of all of this, it's very interesting to me. The Apostle Paul, he shows up there, and then a few people get filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and he has to leave, so he leaves Aquila and Priscilla, a ministry couple there, and they help form the church, and then later it grows so much that he sends his young son in the faith to Ephesus to be the lead guy there, and that was young Timothy. So Timothy's assignment from the Apostle Paul was to take on the ministry at Ephesus. So this is the backdrop. And this is one of the major outpourings of Paul's missionary outreach. And while he's arrested <laughs> in prison in Rome, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this incredible theological masterpiece. I'm just telling you. It's like when you read through the book of Ephesus, if you're really are studying and looking for revelation, you almost have to stop at every phrase because every phrase in every sentence, sometimes there are three or four. And Paul, typically, he has a tendency to do these long run-on sentences, and he does it all throughout. It's like the Holy Spirit is just downloading stuff, and he's writing and writing and writing and writing, and there's no punctuation. The English translators, they have the most difficult time trying to figure out how to insert punctuation with Paul because he's just giving us revelation after revelation after revelation. There's theme after theme after theme. The first three chapters are mostly doctrinal. The third three chapters are mostly practical. And so I want to begin with chapter one. And so I hope that you are ready for this, everybody. I want to talk about the two major themes in Ephesians uh, that really begin uh, in chapter one that carry on throughout the whole book and actually through all of Paul's writings. And let me give you these two. In Christ, this is the two major things. In Christ, God has reconciled all of creation to himself what adam lost through sin christ purchased back through the cross now this is a revelation 
that is given to us in the book of Ephesians. Here's another one. In Christ, God has established the reconciled people from all nations to himself. He has united, I, I meant to say, the reconciled people from all nations to himself and to one another in his beautiful and glorious church. So, so I, I could name about 20 themes in, in including these two, but I want you to get these two for today. <clears throat> and I want you to notice that I said, in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. So I'm, I'm going I'm to read the first 14 verses, and I want you to pay attention to how many times the words in Christ or in him or in the beloved are mentioned. So here we go. Paul, this is Ephesians 1.1, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here's one of them run-on sentences. Even as he chose us, everybody say it, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, <coughs> to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, Another huge theme, purpose, called with purpose, which he set forth, say it everybody, in Christ. As the plan, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, say it, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance and having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first, first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and then believed in him, were sealed and promised by the Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, he says it again, inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. All right, I know I just read 14 verses. And a lot of you think, well, hey, I can read these verses at home. You're taking all this time. But I want you to get the word of God inside of you. And I want you to grasp it. You know, I, we could come up here and just kind of teach some nice little sermonettes, you know, and then you could leave in about 20 minutes. But we are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and what you believe about you and Christ Jesus is so important it can't be shallow it has to be deep it has to be a foundation 
that's built on a rock. And I want your faith to be strong. I want you to know who God is. I want, to know, I want you to know who you are in Christ. And the Apostle Paul says that this was God's whole plan. Even before the earth was created, before anything was created, God had a plan. And that, was, that plan was to redeem some lost people and give them to Christ so that he could equip them and train them and, and, and raise them up and erase the shame of sin and put a new heart inside of them so they could be holy and blameless before him in love. This was God's plan before the foundation of the world. It was for us to be in Christ. And it's a dominating feature that's revealed to us by God in Ephesians, but in all of the epistles. <coughs> the expressions in Christ, in the Lord, in him, this occurs 164 times in the, in the apostles' writings. 164 times. And it, it, it's very important for us to understand this revelation. It's vital if we are going to be what God's called us to be and live the life and be fulfilled in living this Christian life. Understanding what does it mean to be in Christ. Listen, it's this reality that the Apostle Paul understands his new identity, who was once a Pharisee, who was a Christian killer, a terrorist, and now he has come to understand that I am a new person and now I am in Christ. And that was his identity, and he says that's the identity of every Christian, that I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. Everybody say it, I'm in Christ. I want you to understand what that means, because to be in Christ, let's put this up, I want you to get this. To be in Christ, first of all, it means that we have a saving relationship with Christ and are brought into union with him in such a way that what is true of Christ becomes true of us. What's true of Jesus becomes true of us. His grace and his resources, they become ours to experience and to possess. Christ in his relationship that he had with the Father, we have the same opportunities. We have no barriers, no hindrances. Nothing in your past, nothing in your future can spoil what Jesus Christ has done for you. And everything that happens with you in the present and in the future it happens because you are in Christ. Nothing happens because you added a little bit of church to your life, a little bit of Jesus to your life. It only happens when you totally surrender. Like Paul, you change your identity. I'm not a God-hater anymore. I am a Jesus lover, and I am consumed by him. To be, listen, to be in Christ does not mean to be inside Christ like my tools are in my toolbox or like my clothes are in my closet or like you are in this building. To be, to be in Christ is more like to be grafted in where he is the tree and I am the branches. He is the vine I am the branches. Anybody, are you listening to me? 
To be in Christ doesn't mean that I can get out of my box and do what I find useful and then come back into my Jesus box. No, everybody. It's not like I can just walk out of the closet like I walk in and out of Jesus. That's not being in Christ. To be in Christ means that you are grafted in, that if you got separated from Jesus, you would die. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because some of you tried to walk away from Jesus and it was like you were a walking dead person because the source of everything that was meaningful to you, all of a sudden it dried up because there was no flow. Listen, Jesus is supreme and you and I are blessed in the heavenly places because we are in Christ and he is in us. Come on, everybody, can you say amen? amen? This is the way Jesus sees us, that we are in such an incredible union with him that he recognizes us as being a part of him. Do you remember when Saul was persecuting, who later became the apostle Paul? He's persecuting, and he's arresting and having Christians killed. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus shows up, the risen Christ shows up, a bright shining light knocks him down to the ground and he hears an audible voice. And the audible voice said to Saul, who became Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, when Stephen was stoned to death, Jesus said, you, you're killing me. When he was persecuting all of the other believers, Jesus himself said, you are attacking me. Listen, let me tell you something. It is Christ and Christ alone. I don't care what else that you are drawn to or attracted to. It is Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. And what's meaningful to you as a believer in your relationship to God, everything that's meaningful comes because you are in Christ. And I just want you to see, there are three things I want to give to you in the next just a few minutes, everybody, today. The book of Ephesians chapter 1, I could, honestly, we could spend weeks on it. But there are three things I really want you to get. Because Paul said that in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And we have so many heavenly blessings with Christ. And number one I'm going to give to you today is that we have an assurance in Christ. I'm talking about an absolute confidence that I'm in Christ and I am I have the fullness of that insurance in fact I'm a little shocked oftentimes by random people at Christian life when I find that their assurance is shaken when they want to get saved over again when 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 they can't really accept I'm in Christ and I know sometimes faith and feelings they both operate at the same time does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever gone through that? It's like, I want to believe God, but man, this doesn't feel right. And so you've got faith and you've got feelings. Always let faith be your default. We don't live by your feelings, everybody. Live by faith. In the revelation God has given you. And I'm, and I'm giving you revelation today that's powerful and exciting. So let's talk about assurance. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. I don't understand how you're just sitting there looking at me with verse 4. I just can't hardly stand it myself. I, I, I've read this so many times in preparation for this. And the, uh, j just the other morning as I was working on this, I read this and I just had this overwhelming sense of love and appreciation and humility and devotion well up inside of me because I'm like, God, you knew me? You chose me? And you, you want me? I wouldn't choose me. I said I wouldn't choose me. If I was looking for the best and the brightest and the most faithful and the wisest and the most trustworthy, I wouldn't choose me. But he, in his sovereign grace and love, in eons past, looked from whatever vantage point that he was in, and he said, I want that guy. And he chose me. And some of you are already thinking, and he's talking about predestination. Is he a Calvinist? Listen, all you theologians, just settle down right now. I'm just, I'll get to all of that in just a few minutes. I want you to know that in God's love and grace and wisdom, he looked down from eons past and he saw you in your weaknesses, in your sin, in your crazy drama. He saw you in your pain. He saw you in your good traits too, your love, your heart for God. He knew that if you heard the gospel, you would respond to it. And in his foreknowledge, because he knew who you are, who you were, who you would be, he loved you before you were even born. And he chose you before your mama and daddy even knew anything about you and all this could happen everybody listen to me all this could happen only because we are in Christ none of this happens if you're just in your own closet none of it happens because you climb in your own toolbox it only happens when you come in Christ he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. He's talking about you. A lot of theologians, like they take this verse and they try to just generalize it. Well, he chose the masses of people. He chose a whole bunch of people, and some would choose them. So we all were chosen. Every person was chosen. This is not what he's talking about. The word the Apostle Paul uses right here means he chose a selection of people from a larger group of people, and that selection of people are blessed in heavenly places with spiritual blessings, and they are in Christ. It is a privilege. It is an honor. It is an overwhelming, humble thought to think that God, in eons past, wanted you, and he called you to himself. You might have thought, man, I sure was lucky to hear the gospel. And you might have thought, I sure am glad I was born in America where there's a bunch of churches. 
Do you think that God only chose Americans? There are people all around the world that grew up in places where there is no gospel, there is no outreach, and God supernaturally, incredibly, is God, has delivered the gospel to them. Incredible. You've got to speak this to yourself, everybody. You are not an afterthought. God saw you, he loved you, and he chose you. You need to speak this. I, I said this to myself the other day while I was preparing for you. I said, God, you chose me. At first it was a question mark. God, you chose me? And then it turned in as revelation came. You God, you chose me. So, so how do you speak to yourself? Do you say, God, you chose me? Or do you say, God, you chose me? I want you to say, God, you chose me. Speak it to yourself right now. Say it with me. God, you chose me. I'm just telling you, if you get this incredible revelation in the very first few verses in the, in the book of Ephesians, it will transform your life from some weak, you know, uncertain, doubt-riddled, self-deprecating, a person that the devil can destroy with just one little threat. But when you know that you know that you know that you know that you're in Christ and that God chose you before the foundation of the world, the devil can bark, he can growl, he can roar, he can do everything. He can, he can take everything that you have away, but you'll never deny him because you belong to him. And you have nothing because all you have is Jesus and him crucified and a relationship with the Father. Sometimes you have to speak this to yourself. And sometimes you need to speak it to one another like I'm speaking it to you. God chose you. Why don't you help me? Turn to somebody right now and tell them God chose you. Now, now don't say God chose you. <laughs> don't say it that way. Don't say it that way, everybody. Come on, turn to somebody else and say God chose you. Uh-uh, y'all ain't preaching good enough. We're all in the ministry. And if I'm up here with a little animation, a little finger pointing, you're going to help me. Find somebody, point your little loving finger at them, and say, declare it over them, God chose you. Come on, say it again. God chose you. He claimed you. And just in case you, in case you don't believe it, let me give you another confirmation about this from Jesus himself. One of the most incredible passages of scripture is in John chapter 13 through chapter 17. This is uh, the upper room discourse. And in this passage, this is Jesus is at his last hour and he's praying what is called the high priestly prayer. And so he's praying to the Father for the disciples and others. And this is what he says. I want you to just see, I'm going to give you a few verses, how that Jesus recognized that we were chosen by the Father way in advance and that 
his relationship with us was something that God had pre-planned. Everybody, I want you to see this. John 17, 1. Father, Jesus prays, the hours come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. He's about to go to the cross. He says, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life. Look at this, everybody. To all those you have given him. Remember, we're in Christ. We belong to Christ. The Father who chose you gave you to the Son. John 17, verse 6, he says it again. I have revealed you to those you gave me. (laughs) Oh, glory to God. I'm sorry, everybody. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, eons past, when you chose them, but now you've given them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Powerful. Verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Listen, everybody, in eternity past, put this on the screen if you would, guys. In eternity past, I want you to see this. God the Father chose unto himself a people out of the whole of mankind and then presented these people whom he had chosen to the Son so that the Son might redeem them by doing everything that was necessary to make them holy and blameless before the Father. That's powerful. That's truth. That's a foundation for your life. And some of you might be thinking, well, he was praying for the, you're already trying to discount yourself. Stop it. Stop it. Because some of you might be thinking, well, it doesn't really apply to us because Jesus was praying for the 12. Well, he was praying for the 12 minus 1, the 11, because Judas had already defaulted, right? But let me help you. Because Jesus says clearly, that we are included in this. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, the 11. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's me. That's you. Jesus prayed for you, and he prayed for me. And I don't think any of his prayers went unanswered. And he prayed... He said that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That complete union is not just with one another, but it's with the Father and the Son. Everybody got to get this. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, have loved them even as you have loved me. Powerful here, everybody. That's very, uh, that's a very good key for you to understand. Jesus is saying, I want them to know that you have loved them, the ones that got saved by the preaching of the uh, disciples, 
that you have loved them the same way that you love me. I want you to hear that today. I want you to know that Jesus, that God the Father loves you the same way he loves the Son because you and I are sons and we have been grafted in through the adoption of sonship. And Jesus was already praying that that revelation would come to us. This is why being just a little churchgoer is not fulfilling. You have got to be completely transformed and come in place. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you have loved them. I want them, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. My question to you is that are you still lacking assurance of your salvation? If God chose you before the foundation of the world and you surrendered your life, repented of your sins, confessing him as Lord, are you still being moved and living by your feelings because you had a bad day? Maybe you're struggling with an addiction or a sinful thought. Let me tell you something. There is no joy than the joy that comes from knowing in your knower that you have full assurance that he will never abandon you, he'll never forsake you, he's not going to turn his back on you, he is with you through all of your mess-ups, he's with you through all of your victories, he won't bail on you no matter what. So don't you dare bail on him. You just stay in Christ. You stay grafted to the tree, and his life, will it will flow through you, and you will bear fruit. And, 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 if, and if you're in here and you're struggling with this, then I'm challenging you. I mean, as your pastor, I'm challenging you. Put forth the effort in this because you've got to press in to your assurance. I love Hebrews chapter 6, 11. The writer says, and we desire that each of you, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Stop living by your feelings when it comes to your salvation and start living by faith in what God has already done. Amen? I give you one more. You might want to take a screenshot of this, everybody, because you were chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, united to God by the Spirit, and now you are holy and blameless before him in love. And if you have to confess this a hundred times a day to find your peace and find your victory, then you take a screenshot of that and you, you just plaster it everywhere because that's what God has done for you. Somebody say amen. amen. Gosh, I have three points and that's one. You know, I teach our young communicators, make sure you manage your time. Don't spend all your time on one big point, and I'm failing right now. <laughs> Can I just tell you, I, I really don't think that I'm failing in a presentation. I have felt the Holy Spirit sit on this point. Because I think there's some people in here that you are condemning yourself unnecessarily so. It's time for you to get over yourself and climb back into Christ. 
because that's where your identity is. It's not in the worldly you or the old man or the old woman that you used to be. It's in the new that Christ has created you to be. My second point here is that we have a destiny in Christ. And I love this verse 5. It says, and he predestined us for the adoption. I'm sorry, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. I want you to see this, that he predestined us. So I'm going to say this, everybody, about predestination. First off is that sonship is your destiny. And, and all, all of the women are looking at me kind of goofy right now. But I want you to get this because sonship is your destiny. And some of the ladies here are the greatest sons of God that we have. So I, 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 this is not about gender. This is about your union with the son. You, female, male, our union is not in some female form of God. Our union is with Christ Jesus himself, the son of God. We are in Christ. And so when the apostle Paul says, I am adopting, uh, that, that we are adopted in, into our sonship, it means that he has adopted us. Remember, Jesus just prayed, I want them to have the same relationship with you that I have with you. And this is the work of Christ to bring all of us in that same relationship. So that's, that, that's the heavenly revelation from God's vantage point. You have to be careful about approaching God based on human reasoning and earthly think. We have to think spiritually, everybody. It's not like God's excluding women or saying women is not important, not at all. He's saying that our sonship unites us with the Son of God. And we are heirs and joint heirs with him. That we, because we have been adopted, we have an inheritance with him. Everybody, do you get this? So he chose us and he predestinated us into sonship. Now, to predestinate means to determine beforehand, to declare beforehand. And the apostle, what he means here by this term is that this was God's ultimate plan and it refers to everything that God wanted to do, which, which in the very beginning, God said, my plan is I'm going to call some unbelieving, rebellious people out from among all of mankind, and I am going to deliver them. And Jesus, remember, he, I'm going to give them to Christ, and he will redeem them. And then because of that, they can be adopted into the family. And what Adam lost, Jesus made right. This is what it means to be adopted into your sonship. And from the foundation of the world, it was God's plan, everybody. And I know that there's a mystery here theologically that a lot of people struggle with. A lot of people are a lot smarter than me. And this is the, the challenge here is there two theolo theological point, points of view. There is the Calvinist, which is the election um, side, and then there's free will, which John Calvin was a theologian in the 1500s. Jacob Arminius was a theologian in the 1500s, and they had this debate. And you know what the truth is, is that if you could take 
John Calvin's uh, five points of Calvinism, which we were chosen and elected. He preached irresistible grace, meaning that you had no choice. It wasn't about human will. Uh, he chose that the elect were the ones that were chosen, and there was a limited amount of atonement, that the atonement was only available to those that God chose. And I really struggle with that because I know that Jesus said he died for all of the world and whosoever will might come, okay? So there's this debate on these things that Calvinists believe in an irresistible grace and, and, and an unconditional, it was unconditional to the human will. Extreme Calvinists believe that about uh, limited atonement. And uh, some Calvinists believe also that in what's called unconditional preservation or once saved, always saved, that nobody could ever become apostate, turn their back theologically on God or walk away because once you're in, you're in. You know, here, here's the truth, everybody, about theology. There are, there, there are things that in the word of God where there are parallel truths that run side by side. You've heard me say this before, like, like tracks on a, uh, on a trail, on a train. And you gotta have them both because they both bring balance to our revelation of God. And I'll give you an example about this, you know, um, works and faith. So James says, you know, you say you have faith, well show me your works and then I'll know that you have faith. Well, we, we don't, we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith, but works do manifest in our lives if we are truly in Christ, amen? Uh, the fear of God, we, we're told to fear God and, but also to not fear God, okay? So the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but God is loving and merciful and kind, and he'll never stop loving. So the fear of God and the love of God, these are two rails of revelation that run throughout the, the word of God and the kingdom of God. And so people ask me all the time, are you a Calvinist? I'll say, no. Are you an Arminian? I'm like, no. Then what are you? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm somewhere in the middle. Because I believe the Bible. And if you show me a verse that supports that revelation, I'm like, yes, I'm chosen. It was all about God. You show me another verse that says, I must repent, believe in my heart, and confess with my mouth in order for me to be saved. I'm like, yes, where do I repent? What do I need to say? Anybody listening to me? So can it be, it's never, with God, these things are never either or. It's always yes and. You need to respond to God. You ought to respond to God because if you have a heart for God, it means in eons past, God chose you. What are you waiting on? You're gonna be miserable for the rest of your life until you surrender to the kingdom of God. So forgive me for all of my free will people in here that, don't, that I didn't support your doctrine and all the Calvinists in here that I didn't support your doctrine. I would just say, we don't put a high value on extremes. We find balance. Jesus was a, he was a savior that he confronted the extremes of the radical religious people and he confronted the extremes of the sinful ungodly and he brought them together and said we all have to come to God the same way. So, 
We have a destiny, and that destiny is that we were predestined to be sons of God. We will talk more about this as we study through this. It's just, just this is what I know about predestination. I know that God is eternal, and he exists in an eternal reality. And I'm gonna close with this. I want you to get this, everybody, because to me, God, he doesn't live in time and space like you and I live in time and space. Okay, everybody, put on your thinking cap here. We're trying to think about outside of time and space. That God is an eternal being. He didn't start and he doesn't stop. He is. And eternity doesn't start and it doesn't stop. It is. And God lives in what I call the ever-present now. Because God knows what we would consider the end from the beginning. There is no end and beginning to God. He just is. And so his his being God, he know, he lives in this ever-present now. That's why it's not hard for me to know or to think that if God in his foreknowledge, which would be foreknowledge to, to us, it's now knowledge for him because he lives in the now, that God in his foreknowledge, he knew that I would have a heart for God, and he's like, he chose me. Did he choose me just because I have a heart, heart for God, or did he choose me because he was fond of me and he had a special plan for me. I don't know. I'm going to ask him one day when I get to heaven, why did you choose me? You can ask him the same thing. But I know this. Romans chapter 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's your destiny. It's all about the son. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. It's easy for God to foreknow things because he's eternal and he lives in the ever-present now and he's all wise and all wisdom, right, everybody? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he justified and those he justified, he also glorified. Somebody give the Lord praise right now. All right, would you just stand on, on your feet with me, everybody? I'm going to give you a last point, and I will say that we're going to be unpacking this because it kind of launches us into the next few chapters. And that is verse 11 of chapter 1, that we have an inheritance in Christ. For all of you guys that have to have the notes, there's number 3. We have an insurance, we have a destiny, and we have an inheritance in Christ. Verse 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This inheritance. He also writes in Romans that, that since we are sons of God or children, then we are heirs of God heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. 
I'll give you another verse. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. And you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire full possession of... Everybody listen to me. I am just kick-starting the lesson. My strong encouragement to you is to go back in chapter one and read phrase by phrase. Get you a notebook and ask the Lord to show you what he's speaking to our hearts. The Holy Spirit is like the down payment. Your relationship with the Holy Spirit is like a deposit. It's like God is saying, I got so much for you, but your little earthly body can't even handle it. So here's a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He will strengthen you. He will guide you. He will teach you. He will bring you into my presence. Sometimes when you have experience with the Holy Spirit, you're like, what is happening to me right now? It's just a little slice of what it's like for you to be in the presence of God. God said there's more coming. There's more wisdom, there's more knowledge, there's more experience, it's all coming. This is just the deposit. This is what your inheritance is. Sonship with the Father. Everything that Jesus is to God, he's the first of many, the firstborn of many. This is what's waiting for you. Can I encourage you, stop playing around with sin. Stop looking for fulfillment in the things of the world. Enjoy what God has given you. Hello? Enjoy it. But your fulfillment comes from this revelation that I was chosen by God. And as Jesus is the son to God, in many ways... So he's made me to be the same. I stand holy and blameless before him. I wonder if there's anybody in here right now that you struggle with that and you want to deal with that today, like right now. Would everybody just bow your heads for just a minute. You find yourself in here and maybe you have these, these nudges in your heart to maybe move towards God. Or maybe you have these glimpses of God's love, but you look at yourself and you're like, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I want that. But perhaps the revelation of knowing that God chose you and he's just waiting on you to surrender. I mean, to completely give your life over to him. You're in here, or maybe you're watching online, and you say, Pastor Ron, man, that is me. I'm struggling with God, but I want to be in Christ and I want to respond to the Father 
if that's you, would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody like that in the... Okay, lift, it up, lift your hand a little bit higher so I can see. These lights are blinding me. There's one, two, three. Anybody else? Okay, there's four. All right, uh, hands are going up, and I can't count all of you, but thank you so much for responding. But, you know, this, this could be, instead of just a little church moment, this could be a moment that transforms your life. It depends on... the depth of your surrender to God. Hey, let me just help you, okay? I remember the first time I went to church and people were praying and I didn't even know how to pray. I needed some help. But let me help you. Just repeat this after me. Congregation, let's help the ones that raise their hand. We're going to pray this prayer with them. Say it this way. God, you chose me? Wow. It's okay to talk to God that way. Can you say wow? On this day, I choose you. God, I choose you above myself, above anyone else. All my affections, all my hopes, all my dreams, I choose you above them all. Jesus, you love me. You gave yourself for me. I believe you. I believe in you. Forgive me for my sin and set me free from the penalty of it all and give me a new heart. I want to be born again. Holy Spirit, impart the power of God into me and today I will never be the same. I will never ever be the same because I belong to Jesus. Everybody, let's give the Lord praise for that right now. Yes. Listen, there's no, there's no magical words. There's no sacred formula. This is just about you being real with God and saying, I give myself to you because you already chose me. I celebrate all of you that just prayed that. We rejoice in you. And most of us started the same way. Most of us started in our walk with Jesus the same way. So we want to help you. I'm here. Landon was up here. We have lots of people to pray with you, everybody. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. Yeah. Hey, everybody. I say this to all of you. Welcome to your sonship. Let's come into faith about this, everybody. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Give a big celebration for that, everybody. All right. All the children's workers are getting antsy. Look at them. They're standing in the hallway out there. Everybody, I'm releasing you. If you prayed that prayer, I want to help you. Come see us, fill out the card, somehow let us help you 
get bottled up in and get you.